0: This podcast is supported by Blue Mountain Community College. For over 60 years, BMCC has been committed to educational programs and services that promote personal and professional growth and strengthen our local communities. If you're looking for higher learning opportunities that don't cost a fortune, check out their technical certificates, college transfer degrees, workforce development programs, and much more. To learn more, check out bluecc.edu or stop in at one of their many facilities throughout Eastern Oregon. Thanks again for listening.
1: Sure, mics are hot. Mics are hot. Last time you said something clever before we got started. Can't remember exactly what it was. Was it letter rip tater chip? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I got that from my buddy Dylan. I'm pretty sure. Or my
0: maybe my dad has that one.
1: Yeah. Do you are you gonna put it on a shirt? That would fit well on a shirt. Yeah. I tell you, my one of my friends, uh, Andrew. He wants to put. He wants to make shirts for Roundup that say my pronouns are letter and buck.
0: Yeah. Oh, that would that
1: would be a hoot, and I think it would do well here. <laughs> All right. Welcome into the Eastern Oregon think tank, affectionately referred to as Chat PDT. We're here for another session with just me and Ryan in studio, and we're gonna we're gonna go a little bit deep, maybe get a little bit wide, but mostly deep on a couple of topics. Uh, we're missing in action or other cohorts, but we're gonna make do with what we got, and we're excited to have you here. So, uh, Ryan, before we started the mics, you said you had something for me this week. Um, what do you got for me? And then after you get done, we discussed that a little bit. I've got a couple of thoughts, too. Sure. I feel like <clears throat>
0: you've done a really nice job of um, throughout the week, maybe having thoughts that you put to notes that you actually bring to the table here. And I've been pretty much fast and loose with it lately. But I had a couple thoughts that struck me over the last couple of days that I wanted to write down. And bring to the conversation here. So, the first one here, I'll throw it out there. I guess I'll start just by asking the question, but maybe before you answer, I'll give a little context to, to kind of explain what I'm looking for here. So, um, can you think of a time where somebody explained their circumstances or a situation that they had worked through, and in listening to them, you were able to sort of see and identify that same situation in yourself, and that was like a way for for you to be able to see your own perspective in a new light with something you were going through. And so the example I'm going to give is I had a conversation with a friend yesterday and he was describing a pretty stressful environment that he was living through for an extended period of time and how he started to realize um, it was a slow progression, but then rather suddenly he realized how much it was affecting his outlook and his personality. And he said that he felt like he just had generally become um, somebody who was doing a lot of comparisons and just had sort of a grumpy, you know, negative outlook towards others, but was able to identify that as his own problems through the circumstances that he was living in and that the challenges that he, or the things that he was feeling frustrated about that he was seeing in other people was really a reflection of himself. And so I, really appreciated his uh, insight into that cir- those circumstances. And through him telling that story, I was able to sort of see that a little bit in myself as well. So can you share a, sim- a similar s- situation?
1: That's a good question. I think that the first thing that I was going through my head as you're asking the question was, as because I listen to a lot of podcasts and storytelling, um, narrative type things. And when people go through their stories or their background. And especially successful people, it feels like we want to kind of glom on to what they've done, the lessons they've learned, and we want to superimpose that on our life as now I'm going to be successful because I've gone through some similar experience and now I've got some resiliency. And um, so we, we try and relate those things that are not necessarily related or, you know, they've got something else that differentiates them even further. So it's it's not a one-for-one one comparison, but those are the things that come up most frequently. I read a book called Wanting um, on Mimetic Desire, and the, the examples throughout the book about um, how, comparing yourself to others and where these uh, deep wants come from and um, that they may not even be something that you realize consciously where these things are coming from. I was able to see my, um, kind of my, what I thought were, uh, they call them thick desires, um, which are, um, kind of these deep seated, um, and realistic expectations rather than just wanting things like, um, money or fame, short term things. You want these like satisfaction, fulfillment, enjoyment, family. Uh, as Thick Desires, and understanding the difference between those in the book and reading uh, different things like that, and then reading examples from people throughout the book, um, I was able to really see myself in those things. Um, I think that on a personal level, just talking to people, when I worked for um, the DA's office and, and my life as a prosecutor, I've had a lot of opportunities to talk to victims Uh, victims of crimes, and listening to their different stories about, especially things like domestic violence and their experiences, and them explaining the turmoil, trauma, anxiety, PTSD, um, PPD, all the different um, manifestations of mental uh, distress that they're going through, and understanding from their perspective what it is that's this driving force, uh, not only that brings them into this interaction, but how it's not their fault in a lot of instances, what they're going through. Helped me to realize, not necessarily for myself about these are the situations that I've put myself in and that it's similar to them, but helps me to put myself in their shoes and realize um different aspects around mental health that I hadn't quite thought of in certain ways until I was able to interact with these victims of crimes. So um, I don't know if that directly answers your question, but it's kind of a roundabout way of saying these different interactions that I have with people really do shape my experience and and how I feel and think about different things. Sure.
0: I think we are a product of what we expose ourselves to through, you mentioned just people in your working environment or books that you choose to, to read, content you consume. I haven't finished Wanting yet, but uh, it's been a good one that I've picked up in bits here and there that you recommended to me. And uh, as you were explaining that, I think that that is a good example. And the the author was really forthcoming about um, his experiences and his desires coming from, you know, well, just walking through that and how he was able to realize Um, A lot of his goals in life were based on just this sort of grind of in the comparison game of other people Mm -hmm. and the goals he was setting for himself based on trying to climb the economic ladder, the status ladder, whatever you want to call it. And then for him, and for a lot of people, I'm sure it is, it was just a matter of reaching a plateau or having some kind of mental break or burnout to really step back and say, "Um, this isn't really... Leading to my happiness, so maybe it's time to reevaluate how how things are going to work here.
1: I think the big thing, the big takeaway for me was that comparison thing. This um, everybody is probably guilty of it in a sense, unless you're some sort of Buddhist monk, of getting caught up in keeping up with the Joneses and who's got what and comparing yourself to other people. There's this reality that. Everybody is different. Their paths are all different. And how you get there versus how they got there, and then what they have versus what you have. Instead of comparing those things, we need to be first, obviously, you know, it gets preached a lot, but gratitude for what you have in the moment. Um, I think that that's very easily said and not always easily done. Um, but to step back and realize that the things that you think that you want may not be what you actually want and mm-hmm. may not be to... If you think that this is a path to get you towards something you want, you may need to re-examine and re-evaluate where these wants are coming from and whether this is something that you actually want or just think that you want.
0: Yeah, totally. And also, you know, this this conversation started with this discussion I had with a friend and he um, he was really gosh, I lost it there. Um, I guess just evaluating what what's meaningful to you and what you're looking for. Um, but gosh, I had a tangent there and I lost it. So I guess we'll move
1: on from it. <laughs> well, I think that thread may come back to you. Yeah, I think um, something that's nice about these discussions that we do, Ryan, is that these thoughts are sparking so many different directions that you, are. that your mind is going that sometimes it's hard to remember. And that, to me, is an indication that it this is an important topic because you're having so many different ideas and so many different directions that you want to really get it out mm-hmm. and share it with people. And so thank you for that. I, I, it, it indicates a level of importance in your own mind. And if it's important to you, then you have a, a reason to want to share it with other people. Yeah, totally. Totally. So um, did you have any other... Did you have an answer to that question other than your kind of explanation? Did you have another example that you were thinking of? I think that the one I led with the question was just a more recent one that I have
0: thought about. Um, but I think that it just in my mind, it stands to a, a big piece of that that you mentioned was the comparison game and how, how poisonous that can be. And we do it in different ways. I feel like I've never been, um, too high on trying to compare money in the nice flashy new car, but that doesn't mean that I'm not um, guilty of comparing, you know, socioeconomic status or the way that you think that people look at you and, Oh, here's the thread I was trying to pick up. Okay. So, um, He also was talking about, and I feel like I saw this in myself too, I really relate strongly, where you look around and you see different people throughout the world and you just want to know their story. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's sort of the path out of this comparison game and out of the rat race and out of the keeping up with the Joneses is really um, to be able to take in empathy and understanding and a curiosity about other people Mm -hmm. because just – for as many things as you might think they're doing better than you, they may have just as many hindrances or challenges to have gotten to where they are. But also, um, I think that just context and information paints a brighter picture than what your own mind can conjure up from a distance as far as what you think that somebody else is about or has that you don't have. Um, when you really get to hear folks' stories, you you just uh, find more relatability you find common ground, you care more, and it's also just harder to um, to create some kind of image in your mind um, when you have real information.
1: I think that's a, a good point. And one of the things that I thought about as you were talking about that was if you talk to people that are very successful um, and you think that they're very successful and you want to try and emulate that, or you think that if I just had... X, then I'd be happy like them. And then you go and talk to them. What you often find is that they're not necessarily happy, and in some cases, they're miserable. And you you might try and shake them or something, and be like, "Why are you so unhappier with your station in life where you've come to? Why aren't you more satisfied?" And it's interesting to hear their answers and their reactions, and what you're. Um, espousing here today is that we need to do a better job of having empathy and understanding for other people's positions. And maybe by through some shared understanding, we can have a better sense of ourself and have a better sense of what they're going through and what they've gone through to get to where they are at this point. And maybe it will give a little more perspective on the things that we think we want.
0: Yeah, Totally. And I've got a book recommendation that's kind of a fun read that that uh, is, you know, at sur- surface level kind of entertaining, but then takes a deeper dive into people's perspectives and lives. And it's, uh, it's called Anxious People. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? I haven't. Okay. So it was a fairly new fictional, I think it was written um, in Swedish and translated to English in a variety of other languages, but... It's sort of a fun fictional tale, but it does peel back the layers of the onion of these different characters and the development. And I feel like it's a good uh, story that relates to what we're talking about, where you see these different people at surface level, you get to know more about their, their pains and their reality, and you just, you just have a better empathy and understanding for the human experience, I guess. And so I would recommend Anxious People for, for uh,
1: the, the book readers out there. Sounds like we'll have to put a couple things in the show notes today. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember if it was a movie or a TV show or maybe just a stand-up comedian that made the joke. Everybody does the um, example of the peeling back the onion. And the person said, I don't know why they use onion as example, because if you peel back an onion, what's behind it? More onion. <laughs> there's, there's no, no, nothing new ever. It's just more onion. I always thought that was kind and of And I funny. can't
0: escape thinking about Shrek when we talk about the onions have layers <laughs> thing, or, but maybe there's a better example of something to peel back that looks good, like an artichoke.
1: <laughs> so I've got, um, two words for you. Okay. And I'm, there's not going to be a lot of preface. It's going to be kind of a game like a Rorschach t- test or something like that where I'm going to show you a picture you're going to, exp- but rather I'm going to use words. Okay. And you're going to, you're going to just start talking about the first thing that starts coming to your mind when I tell you these two words and where your thoughts go. You ready? Let's do it. Collective wisdom.
0: Hmm. Collective wisdom, so that the collective piece means it's more than just one person; it's a group of people. So, um, I guess it. uh, The first thing I'm thinking about is um, like traditional skills and knowledge that are just passed down, not necessarily by like studious means in the classroom, but just by way of that uh, generational knowledge that gets passed around. So, collective wisdom, like like hunting and fishing techniques where, you know, a lot of people, well, have either lost the knowledge of how to do some of those things, or it's been by way of going out with dad and grandpa and stuff like that. And so, um, that could be singular in nature and maybe not collective, but it is sort of a culmination of like, oh, my, my grandfather took me out and taught me this and I'm going to teach it to you. And that's how that information gets shared and passed down. And I think that's the best way to learn in a lot of ways, but it's also a risky way of losing things because it's not stored in the same way that, uh, you know, certain historical
1: records might be. Do you have a, a general reaction or gut feeling about that word? It's not as charged as some other phrases, and I realize that, and that's why I'm kind of playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a any sort of emotional reaction to that? those two words.
0: I think I want to be almost like protective of whatever collective wisdom is. I guess another one I think about is in baseball, and the sports world and stuff, there's some of those intangibles that maybe like certain coaches and managers have. Have you ever heard uh, it described that, oh, that that coach or that player just like finds a way to win? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like you can't necessarily tie data or analytics to how or why, but certain people and situations they just find a way to win. And I think there is something to collective just wisdom and knowledge that um is maybe not even always uh within your conscious mind that you just carry with you that are positive traits to to benefit your your team or your organization or whatever it is. But um, there's something to, you know, whatever you want to call it, energy that is not measurable by our standards, that is still valuable. And I think that, you know, I guess I tie that to wisdom in a way that there's just like a presence
1: that, uh, that carries forward that, um, is, is important. That was fun. I, I like doing this, this gut reaction to a set of words or even a single word. I think it's interesting the the different places that the mind can go and that sometimes things like you might say the word socialism, and you're going to get one reaction or communism or something like that, and you'll get a reaction. Um, and why it is that people have these reactions to these different words, you know, what is it either in their upbringing upgreen, upgreen, or something that they've learned in their life that has brought them to this point where they have this kind of emotional reaction to just a word. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting to me. Yeah.
0: Do you have an answer for that one?
1: Or? For collective wisdom? Yeah, where do you go? Um, I am... The thing that I thought about after asking the question, because obviously I posed it, so I kind of have an advantage, was um, almost like a sense of pride um, and the fact that human beings are able to stand on the shoulders of giants and... We're able to progress as a, either as a society or as a race, human race, um, and continue to uh, get better, uh, hopefully. And the way that we're able to achieve that is through the collective wisdom, is mm-hmm. the idea. And so I, I, I would say pride, proud, um, in that kind of concept and that idea that we're smart enough to do that. Um, that was kind of my initial yeah. reaction. I
0: want to. I want to talk to you a little bit about... This leads me to... Are you familiar with the author Hans Rosling? I don't think so. He authored a book, but he was a big, like, uh, mass uh, macroeconomist and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And this book was published, I want to say, in, like, 2017, and he died maybe a year or two later. But it was um, titled, I think, 10 Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Actually Better Than You Think. Okay. And so... When when you say hopefully we're getting better, I think that this was a good perspective piece that was actually backed by a lot of factual information that supported the idea that you know news media, human nature for a variety of reasons, we always just think that things are getting much worse, and um, you know whether it's like uh, deaths from climate events, whether it's like violence and war, um, economic poverty, we we generally have this mentality that things are getting so much worse within society. And he was able to make the counter argument that, um, in so many ways in almost all aspects, things are actually getting better. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I was a journalism major in undergrad and everybody knows the, the main concepts in journalism. If it bleeds, it leads. And, I heard the kind of phrase, no news is good news. And you could take that in kind of two two ways. So if you have heard no news, that's good news. The other way of listening to that is no news that you hear is going to be good news. Because again, if it bleeds, it leads.
0: Just the the fact that it's news is that it's something negative and attracted
1: right. by fear because that's such a strong emotion. Or Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the two different ways that even when I heard that, I thought about it in two different ways as I heard that saying. And that happens to me a lot when I hear people do little sayings or idioms where I'm like, okay, well, you could think about it this way or think about it this way. Um, the I, I've talked a little bit about um, politics in previous episodes and that I feel like, What's really lost in America right now is a moderate voice, kind of the middle ground. And we're being pushed to these extremes, um, conservative and liberal extremes. And those are the only viewpoints that get airtime because they're the extreme examples. And people don't want to hear the voice of a moderate. You know, it's that's not that entertaining. It's not attractive or entertaining. And yeah. And so. As I think about those types of things, and then I think about the, the media hype cycle and Fox News or CNN or whatever, and they go to these extremes, one side or the other, and it just doesn't have to be politics. It can be about anything. It can be about climate change or gun violence or you pick a, a topic du jour, and they're going to have an opinion and an agenda that they're, they're putting forth. I was talking to somebody about this the other day that at some point I stopped watching. And what I started trying to consume instead was things like um, BBC World News. And if I really wanted news about the United States and actually what was going on, I'd almost go to the BBC or Al Jazeera or something like that. So maybe it just like is almost independent from the situation? Or? Well, because the news that I'm getting from the United States is slanted. It's got an agenda behind it. It's, it's either a liberal or conservative and there's, you almost have to listen to both sides to find out what your opinion is probably of the middle ground. And I don't want to do that much work to get my news yeah. to find out what's really going on. I just want somebody to give it to me objectively. I had another person say, cause I said I was a journalism major, are they even teaching objectivity and in, in school anymore? And I said, well, when I went to school, they did. That was one of the first fundamental tenets that you learned in journalism school was how to write from an objective standpoint, the the words that you're using, the way that you're framing the different issues so that it's not framed in a way that clearly shows some sort of subjective bias. Mm -hmm. And I I have to assume, although I haven't been back to the J school in a long time, I do believe that they are still teaching these lessons and objectivity. Because it was just such a fundamental tenet that I have no reason to believe that it's not uh, being taught in that way anymore. And the other person said, I don't know if they're still teaching that or not. And I I have to think that they are. My
0: first gut would be, of course they are. But then it's like the motives of the organization you end up working for is where the influence may come in. And that's kind of what I think is going on because it
1: comes back to money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess I have a natural
1: inclination to distrust things well, you, that money are backed by but a healthy skepticism sure for things about where is that money coming from and why are we why are they doing the things that they are doing and we can tie it back to the money in a lot of cases and figure out what it is that's motivating them
0: yeah yeah and another point towards just the bad news that we always seem to be um, bombarded with is that for a lot of reasons, you know, technology and information is a great gift. But um, one detriment is that, you know, maybe it's beyond our real, uh, you know, necessity to understand what's happening at any place in the world at any given time, like, never before in history, were we able to know um, when somebody was violently murdered across the country or world, and what we should think about that. And so I think, you know, on the one hand, it's good to be informed of of what's happening in the world. But on another, it's almost like too much to bear to really be able to understand the tragedies that are happening all over the country and world.
1: You raise a point that I've kind of talked about before, this idea of the world is so big, and there's so many people. And even if you think about the street you live on, and then you go Drive down the street, and you look at all the houses, and you think about all the people in those houses and what each one of them are doing, what they did that day, what they're thinking about, what's troubling them, or what's making them anxious, or what's making them happy. You know, maybe they're having a family dinner and they're having a good time. Now, expand that to two streets, then expand it to a city. Now, expand it to a state. Try and hold in your mind's eye as you're expanding each one of these things all these individual families, when I start thinking about how many people there are at these levels, as you level up each, you know, it's like a magnifying glass on the world and you're zoomed all the way into one street and you just keep uh, decreasing the the magnet Mm -hmm. zoom. So you're getting a little bit less and you're seeing a little bit more. One of the things that I think about is how awesome and I mean awesome in the sense of awe-inspiring and overwhelming, it is to think about that many people. And then you think about how many people in a state, then you just think about a state like California that could be its own economy. Then you think about the United States, which is just so vast and so big. If you've ever tried to do a long walk or a long hike, now imagine trying to go across the country like Lewis and Clark did starting in St. Louis, trying to traverse to the West Coast and map it out over a course of two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then think about that in the sense of the world and all of the people around the world and how big that is. And then then expand that even further and realize that our, our Earth is just one speck on the pinhead of a needle in the grand scheme of the universe. And that we're just... One star in an overwhelming system of multiple systems, many a Googleplex of systems that exist. Mm-hmm. And it, it will just blow your mind if you keep expanding it out that much. And that's why I think that we get in these, the reason that we get into these mind frames of thinking in certain ways is because if we allow ourselves to think too much and really ponder existence and why it is why are we here why am i me as opposed to how did i get born into this body not a different body or this mind instead of a different mind and what if i was born in a different place or time or what what if i was born on a different planet or something like that what if time travel was possible it'll blow your mind and it's almost easier to just keep yourself in a box and watch the tv because it's it's so overwhelming mm-hmm. to think about that.
0: Yeah, it's almost really beyond our ability to truly comprehend and grasp beyond just, you know, discussing in blanket terms, I guess. And does that does that intimidate you to think about the mass and scale or does it give you like a calmness and a resolve that your problems are not that big or how does that, where does that perspective take you?
1: It makes me kind of... It's, it ends up making me contemplative and kind of really asking the questions about the big things and the important things. Um, you know, the, these kind of meaning, these existential questions that you have, it doesn't lead me into any sort of crisis or, um, where I get analysis paralysis or anything like that. It's almost for me, almost a fun exploration that I go through in my mind and I uh, you know like I was talking about you zoom out you zoom out you zoom out and going through that exercise it's a little bit cathartic at times to realize that the things that we think are important aren't necessarily that important yes they're important to us and the people in our lives and that and people matter and you matter I'm not saying that I'm saying you're just one piece of a really big <laughs> a really big system that it's really difficult to comprehend. Yeah. And if you go left instead of going right, maybe it's not as big of a deal as you think it is and yeah, don't worry about it so much. You're going to find your way.
0: I like that. And I've had I've had a similar experience or thought process when I I recall I've done this a lot of times where like we've been out of town traveling or doing something like that and then when you come into Pendleton and you're sort of coming in from above and mm-hmm. so you're looking down at the big bowl of yep. Pendleton and i've had that that strange feeling of just like this is this is everything right here that i live and breathe and stuff and this is this small little piece of things but i'm looking from a distance at all of what my life is most of the time and then it's like wow those little crazy things that i stress about and worry about and it's all so minuscule and I have that repeating feeling when I come, you know, down the hill off the freeway looking down at Pendleton, but then it's similar to like when you're on a plane or something and sure and you you just see entire cities and massive landscapes and cars driving and little suburban town or you know, little neighborhoods and like you said you you can just get lost in thinking about how how much is going on and I wonder what these people are thinking and feeling cuz we've all, you know, sat around and you hear the plane and you see it flying overhead. But to be on the opposite side of that, looking down at everything from a distance is an f- interesting perspective piece, I guess. I'm going to teach my kids to wave at every plane just in case. <laughs> in case they see that one person standing out in the field or something. That Yeah.
1: You know, I, I don't think I've ever had this thought before, but I'm thinking as you drive into Pendleton on 84 and you kind of get the same thing as you come into Hermiston down the hill into Hermiston because you can see the Butte and you can see um, stretches along 395. And it made me start thinking about other cities that I've driven into from the freeway or from the interstate and how so many times there's a point when the road kind of opens up and you're able to kind of see the entire city. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a point in Portland like that when you kind of uh, come off of 84 and you can kind of see the whole city for the first time you're kind of leading up. It's like a bottleneck and then it opens up and it definitely happens from the other direction from I-5. Um, and then I was thinking about cities like Sacramento or San Francisco, where you'll just be driving, driving, driving. And then all of a sudden it feels like it opens up and then you can kind of see the whole city. Mm -hmm. Um, l a has the same thing because you come down the grapevine on uh, i five and as soon as you kind of come over the top of the hill and you look down, you can kind of see the expanse with the cloud of smog I'll add <laughs> yeah, but San Francisco, as you come across the um, Golden Gate bridge, it kind of opens up in the same way. I don't know that it was these roads were necessarily designed that way. I think it's just kind of a a matter of nature and structure the way that these cities were built they're kind of naturally encompassed by these they they build them within these land masses so they're yeah they're naturally seated below these uh or in these low-lying areas below these hills and so you just by nature you either go through um, a bridge or a tunnel and then you come out the other side and you can kind of see the whole city but that's kind of a interesting thing. It's almost like being born and you're looking for the first time at these cities and it is an opportunity to get a new perspective. Yeah, totally. So, um if you had something else, like I got two next topics for you. I just got one more, but I can save it. I want to hear what you got next. Okay. So, I can go in two different directions and you're going to you're going to choose your own adventure. Okay.
0: Like those books where you get to pick like two, two choices, turn that, to page
1: 12 or 36. That was exactly my reference. I'm glad you got that. So the first is this idea about whether or not dreams have meanings. And maybe we could go into some different dreams that you might have had recently and whether you thought that that um, was giving meaning or there was some sort of subconscious message or or whether dreams are uh, foreshadowing or foretelling of something that you mm. might experience in life. Um. The other topic is around I've made a list of things that I believe make me 10% more efficient in everything that I do in my life. And I've I've got my list of things that I've done and I kind of have implemented as ways that I just call them my 10% more efficient uh, topics. Okay, which direction would you like to go? Mm,
0: I feel like I'm not going to be able to contribute at a high level to the dreams, but it's more intriguing. So I think we go that way. Okay, so
1: for a long time, um, I, I thought that dreams were very, very interesting, almost like a window into the soul. And I did a lot of research and reading about um, why it is that we dream and um, kind of the, the biology behind it. And I haven't looked at the research that I did. This was many years ago. And so it's just kind of whatever is stuck with me over time is what I remember. But uh, the thing that I seem to recall really sticking with me is that your brain is kind of like, and this is my own analogy, your brain is kind of like a computer and at the end of the day, you need to wipe it and your subconscious will go through the different events or different things uh, that are being, have been recorded in your brain throughout the day or throughout several days and play them back to you so that you can kind of work through whether or not those things are important or not. Now, it's not a perfect uh, metaphor example because you may end up thinking about something um, that you kind of have had as a recurring thought over and over, like a recurring dream that you might have. And maybe that wasn't something necessarily from that week, but your subconscious is still trying to work it out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe you... Oftentimes, in my case, I'm dreaming or I have dreams that are related to experiences that I've had. We talked before about how it is that you can go through your daily life and not remember things that you've done or you can drive to a place and forget that you even drove to get there Mm -hmm. because you've done it so many times and you're on autopilot. And I feel like uh, dreams in a lot of cases are a way to get off autopilot and for your brain to relive and pull out whether extract whether any of these things were important right yeah so that's i guess i'll say that as a my premise that's kind of what i believe based on my research that the the purpose of dreams are for now i think that there i'd like to believe that dreams have some deeper meaning and that whether it's through uh, divine intervention or um there's some sort of um, some sort of other power or reason driving force behind dreams that are either giving you intuition or foreshadowing um to beware or take certain steps to uh, lead to your overall fulfillment, right? Mm-hmm. So, as I can continue to dream and think about dreams, I like to hold that in the back of my head that that's still a possibility. So, Always keep that in mind, right? For a while since I was getting so into dreams, I figured out how to do lucid dreaming. You figured out how to? mm -hmm, Mm. I did. And so I was able to control my dreams and I could essentially do anything I wanted in my dreams. I could decide before I was going to go to, I would decide usually in the dream, but Sometimes before I would go to sleep, I would decide, am I gonna go swimming tonight in the Pacific Ocean? So the, the decisions that you make happen before you fall asleep or Usually. once you're in it? So obviously the decisions would ha- have to happen in the dream because you're controlling it as you're going. It's like changing the stations on a TV mm-hmm. that I could switch and suddenly be doing something different, playing in a baseball game now, swimming with um, orca whales. Uh, flying, flying was the most common one that I would do. Nice. Um, but you could, I could just turn it on and off, but there was a point when lucid dreaming became not relaxing and I would wake up not feeling refreshed because it felt like I had been working the whole night instead of dream, you know, like, so you work all day, then you go to sleep (laughs) and then you dream and you're like lucid dreaming so you're not it's not a restful sleep and then you wake up and it's like I've been up all night so I stopped doing it quick question before we deep dive but do you feel like
0: there's a certain phase in your sleep cycle where the dreaming happens more because I almost feel like it's that snooze button in and out point is when you have some of the most vivid dreams or
1: maybe that's just what you're able to remember more because you're on your way out it's a good question from what I understand now I I track my sleep cycles with, um, my watch. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't always, I I used to, you know, there's this joke that Mitch Hedberg said that he didn't like to wear a watch because he wanted his arms to weigh the same amount. (laughs) So, um, I never wore a watch for a long time and I only started wearing it when I was getting back into fitness and I wanted to kind of track my activity, track my steps. And then I realized that it tracks your sleep. And I was always kind of curious about, how many hours of, at night am I sleeping? How restless am I sleeping? And if you look at your phone, it tells you when you woke up and when you're in different levels of sleep. So if you're in REM sleep or deep core sleep um, or awake. And what I found, cause I can kind of track back and remember when I was dreaming throughout the night, because like I said, I can lucid dream. So I can kind of remember and control when these things are happening. Um, what I read and what seems to be true for me is during REM, the rapid eye movement. Yeah. Uh, portion of sleep is when I dream. And that's the,
0: that's the deepest state and the most
1: restful piece or? No, that's the deep core sleep is the deepest, most restful, but usually on my sleep cycles, I don't stay in deep core sleep, like the deepest sleep for very long. It's usually like 15 or 30 minutes and then I come back out of it. Mm. Um, I think that there's actually three, there's like a, there's like a core and then there's like a deep, let me just pull it up. So while you're thinking, I'll I'll pull it up and see what last night was.
0: Yeah. You work on that. And I, I'll start this conversation by saying that I I wish my wife was here for this part of it because she, we've had conversations about, it's kind of a joke between us because she is the type of person that could roll, roll out of bed. And she used to do this for the longest time. She could spend at least ten minutes, like in great detail, describing her dreams from every single night to, and for her it almost weighed on her like it had happened in real life.
1: So I'm showing you my sleep cycle from last night. All right. Mm-hmm. So let me walk you through that. Now you've kind of yeah. you see the chart there. I it's do kind of up and down. Mm-hmm. All right. So first fall asleep and I immediately go into core sleep. Um, I skipped REM. Just went right to core. And then I was awake. Something woke me up. That was the dog barking. And then I went back into core sleep. And I was in core sleep. And then I went into uh, deep sleep. And then I was not there for very long, like five or ten minutes. And then I went into REM. And that's when I was dreaming. And then I went back into core. And then I went into a deep sleep starting at 1 a.m. for about a half an hour. (laughs) And then I got woke up. And then I was in core sleep for a long period of time, a couple hours. And then I went into REM, dreaming, and then something woke me up again at 3 a.m. And then I went back into core sleep for a couple hours, and then went into REM for about an hour, back into core, and then REM. So I only went into that deep sleep at the very beginning of the night and then never went back into deep sleep. And I spent most of the time in core sleep, which i i don't dream during core sleep i only dream during REM so i only had about three or four periods that i could have even been dreaming last night and i don't remember any of my dreams from last night but like i said ever since i switched and focused not so much on lucid dreaming i don't really remember my dreams as much anymore because it became too exhausting now if you wake up every day and you remember your dreams and you write them down, or if you wake up during the night and you write them down, you're going to do a better job of remembering your dreams.
0: Yeah. That's, I agree with that because I mean, if you would ask me and if it seemed important enough to me to document or talk about it within the first, you know, hour or so that I was awake, I'd probably have a better log. Cause I know that I've had a fair amount of dreams recently that I remembered the day they happened, but it's like, Maybe my memory bank didn't think it was important enough because I couldn't even tell you today what a lot of those were. So,
1: do you have any recurring dreams?
0: I, not as much as I used to, but one of the greatest recurring dreams of my life was baseball related. Okay. And I'd have this, uh, this vision mostly about, um, like, not being able to get my catcher's gear on in enough time to be out in the field to play anymore. Oh. And it was like, I was constantly delayed or held back from, from uh, getting out there and doing it. And it was like, uh, I don't know, sort of on your question about like, if you prescribe meaning to that stuff, I don't know if it just came from a place of anxiety or wanting, or if at a deeper level, it was just like this. uh, I didn't get enough of the baseball or, or what to point that to. But those ones uh had recurred for me for many years, and even every once in a while I'll still have a dream like that, but especially in the more recent years that I had finished playing baseball, that was
1: like a regular occurrence so I think that the the most logical this is kind of the um the it the easiest Oxen, occam's razor explanation mm-hmm. the simplest explanation is usually the correct explanation um is that you just had a general level of anxiety and when you couldn't get something done in time, you were worried. It wasn't necessarily even about baseball. It was something else that was going on in your life and you're relating it back to that example where maybe one time the coach yelled at you because you weren't getting your catching gear on quick enough Mm -hmm. and it just psychologically stuck with you. Or it could have just been that you felt like, Internally, you weren't getting it done fast enough and you wish that there was a way to get the gear on quicker.
0: Yeah. Something um, about that and then missing out on the chance to, to play more. But
1: So that's the first kind of simple explanation is you've got some other anxiety going on in your life and you're relating it back to that first experience you had because I believe that so many of the experiences that we have when we're young, and I've talked about that time dilating when you're younger and then it compresses as you get older. Mm-hmm. Because you remember so many of the things that happened to you when you are young, they really stick out in your mind. So you may have one experience that you're going to continually relive throughout the rest of your life because time was so dilated at that that time and you just keep reliving it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's kind of the simple one. I liked where you were you were starting to go with the second one, which is Your brain is telling you, oh man, you really enjoyed the time playing baseball and you wish you could have played more or, um, that you could have, you would have made maybe the more of it, the, you didn't make the most of it in that time that you did it. And your brain is subconsciously telling you, I mean, this is us now, this is me now, armchair quarterback psychology on what the dreams are, but Mm -hmm this is something that you said that you thought it might be, and I think, or you kind of alluded to it, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's a very realistic and pragmatic way to look at it is that your brain is telling you, oh, man, I wish that I would have done more with my time, or I wish I would have gotten out there quicker and made some certain plays, and then I could remember that instead of remembering I couldn't get my gear on Mm -hmm. kind of a thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, but... What do you do you uh do you ever miss, miss or feel like you wanted to or want to do more rec sports cuz you know I guess you were kind of a big soccer guy right so do you feel uh satisfied with that being part of the past or do you feel like you would get enjoyment out of doing some kind of club rec sport activity does it cross your mind often at all anymore I'm it
1: does um just because I like uh I like sports so much and I all watch things like, you know, football or basketball. And sometimes you think that you can do it, you know, that, oh, I could compete with these guys or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the mind is willing, but the body is not able in the same way that it was when I was in my twenties or in my late teens, just the ability to bounce back when I would do sports when I was younger, like, um, when I played soccer or whatever, I could twist my body in ways that it just wouldn't hurt. And I would just get up and I was like a rubber band. And you're... The things... I mean, I can do simple little things now, like going up a set of stairs and my ankle can get turned in a little way and it will hurt for the next two days. (laughs) And that's not... There's nothing that you can do to slow down your body's aging. You can put yourself in the best position like Tom Brady does, where you're doing these uh, motion exercises every day and calisthenics and rubber band stretches and things so that you can keep your body as optimal as you can, but you can't turn back time. And you can live in the past, kind of that rem- reminds me of the... Um, What's that movie where the guy's throwing the football? Uh, Napoleon Dynamite, where he's reliving his glory days of playing football. (laughs) Um, You can kind of reminisce and think back and maybe even think that you did better at the time than you really did. But you're never going to get back to that point again. And yes, it's fun to fantasize. um, And I can still beat my kids in a foot race. I don't know how much longer that's going to (laughs) last. But I'll never get back to that capability. I mean, I can, so I've been working out for the last four or five years and I'm stronger physically. My muscles are stronger. I can move more weight than I could when I was 18. And it's the strongest I've ever been in my life. I can, I can squat more. I can bench more. I can overhead press more, but I, I just don't have the mobility that I did when I was 18. So mm-hmm. I, I can't my uh, side to side, my lateral is just nowhere near what I was able to do as far as sprinting, running, changing directions yeah. at that age. So you can change one thing and you can get stronger, but it doesn't give you agility. Right. And I think there's a point that we all just have to, if you don't accept it, then you're just going to be living in the past. I suppose it's, it's hard for people like me to accept it because we think that we can still go out there and continue to do it at a high level. Mm hmm. And that's where you have to do, in my mind, other things like uh, golf. That, that's something that I, I've tried to do more, but it takes up too much time generally. But that's a game where the ball's not moving. And so you're not needing to use lateral quickness to do stuff from side to side. Right. You can get better every round. You can focus on certain things. And it is, it's physical. It's a physical activity and you have to twist and move and ball striking is, can be challenging. Um, and then putting is for me still the hardest part of it. Trying, just trying to get really, really good at one skill within golf, like putting, if you can get really good at that, it makes you feel awesome. And it can bring you back to those moments of Zen that you had when you were younger.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I like golf and maybe I'll, um,
0: get back into that as the days move on i hit it pretty hard there for a few years and that was a point i made about it was that um you know you can do this as long as you can move around and mm-hmm. and there's no time limit on being able to play golf and you don't have to try to put together a a group of 10 20 people to make it happen you can right. go go by yourself or go with a few friends or whatever and then the variability too of you can walk 18 holes and get miles of, right. of uh, steps in while swinging, um, along the way. Or, or, you you know, if you're, um, more interested in a social experience or you don't want to move around a ton, yeah, you can make it as simple as pulling right up to your ball in the golf cart, take a few swings, move on. And so, yeah, stuff like golf or, um, fishing or those kind of things that you can, do that are still somewhat athletic and that require some thinking and uh yeah can really engage you (laughs) without risk of destroying your body are uh good
1: outlets for sure well and it, it makes me think about why maybe we as humans have kids especially guys because we can live vicariously through our children and maybe that's why we push sports on them so much is we can then teach them and then if they can even be better than us, better than we were at that same age, yeah, we feel like since it's our DNA in the kids that it might still be actually us doing it, yeah, y- you know, intellectually, we know it's not true because w- when you think about what separates a really good athlete from uh, a marginal or like a average athlete, to me, a lot of it is um, mental and that ability to for instance in baseball when you get up to bat and you've struck out twice in a game to get a hit in a key moment and now you're at, you're hitting 333 yep right and that's a really good baseball player if you're playing 333 but to have that mindset every time that I'm going to go up and get a hit like yes I struck out the last two times but this time is going to be different mhm that's a hard that can be a hard thing to do it is it is hard and I wish that honestly I wish that
0: I had more mental toughness in my experience because those things weigh on you trying to take a poor defensive play out with you to your next at bat, or like you said, you struck out a couple times, but now, you know, um, this is the opportunity that the game can change if I can get my head right and being able to, It's it's a good analogy for life to be able to let stuff go and to not carry, you know, previous pains with you because they're going to weigh you down and that kind of stuff. But yeah, you're right. I, uh, I just now with the kids coming into that, uh, where they've, they're showing some athleticism and some interest in sports. And then I think there's a healthy balance to strike of, of the relationship that you have and the dynamic with them through their sports. But there's something special to being able to watch and, and, uh, take that in for them going through sports.
1: Well, all the first of kids, I, One of the things I thought about was last year, I took my kids um, on a family trip to Hawaii. And one of the things that they both did was they crawled up on this rock face and did a cliff jump. And one was six and one was uh, eight. And there was adults that were climbing up this rock face and then turning around and going back down. And here are my kids They crawled right up there and jumped off. (laughs) And it's this craggy rock that you have to get out far enough so you don't hit the edge. And I jumped off to kind of show them the way, and then I stayed down below, and I was kind of pointing at the water where to go. And then they just got up there and did it, which was fun because now I can look back and say to them, you can never have a fear of anything because when you were six, you did cliff jumping. (laughs) And then uh, yesterday, my, um, my youngest, for the first time, Rode his bike for the first time without training wheels, which it's longer than um, most kids. He just wasn't as interested, Mm -hmm. but he suddenly had an interest in riding the bike yesterday. And he was, he started by shooting baskets. And I was like, do you feel like riding your bike? He had still never done it. I took the training wheels off almost a year ago because I know he can do it. He just wouldn't get on it and try it. Right. And he was like, yeah, sure sure old man, I'll get on there. <laughs> so he got on and he was already balancing in the driveway and I was like, all right, let's go to a flat surface. You, you want to go? And he said, yeah, let's do it. So went up to a flat surface and all it took was me walking behind him with the second. I was like, all right, you ready for me to let go? And he's like, yep. He just rode around just on the first try, no issue. And it's those moments where they get this feeling of, of learning and self satisfaction. Oh, yeah. That you get to share in. And that smile for so them when it clicks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's always good stuff. So, well, I guess we've got to get kicked out of here shortly. It's time to get our day rolling, but maybe we can finish with I'll give you a question. You can give me a short answer. And then if you feel like you've got more to share with it, it can segue into what we bring next week. So, um,. One of the hardest things for, for people to do, myself included, is when you're stressed out or you're uptight or it's hard to let something go. People say, just relax, just take a deep breath. But what do you feel like is actually an effective tactic or technique to do that? What do you feel like works for you to be able to to let stuff go or to be able to to
1: just take a deep breath and just feel calm? In the moment. You're in the moment where you're redlining. Mm -hmm. And you have to now turn that off and relax. Yeah, That's a hard thing to do. I think that that's a skill that you learn over time. And that's one of the things we're talking about kids. That's the thing that I keep working on with my kids so much is not redlining. I don't call it that, but that's what I think of when I see it happening. Yeah. Is stepping back and not reacting in the moment. Um, Not hitting your brother, you know, like... I don't care about how mad you get. You can't hit them. You can, like, I don't have a problem with them wrestling or whatever. You yeah. Know, if they're both playing. But, but just but, out of anger. Out you of lash anger, out. That's and, right. Yeah. So translating that into my own life. And I think that the, the thing that I've gotten better at over time is just not doing things in the moment, not sending out the email at that moment when you're thinking about it and waiting till the next day. The, I think that the hardest thing for me to learn, or I, I should say, one of the greatest lessons that I've had over time is that nothing is as important as you think it is in, in the moment. You think it's so important. You've uh, ascribed so much of importance and value to it. But if you step back, you'll realize that that thing is not as important as you think it is, and you, it can wait. And once you do that and you come back to it, you have a fresh mindset and you can go, I was right. It wasn't that important. (laughs) I can, I can now respond to it level-headed, just giving it enough time to breathe so that it can pass. Yeah. I think that that's the main thing that I try and do. I'm not always successful at it, but I also try and think, what is future Blaine going to say about what I'm doing right now? Is he going to be pissed off at me for doing this thing wrong? And, I don't want my future self to be mad at my present self for being reactive mm-hmm. for being reactive. Yeah. And I'm better than that. Don't, mm-hmm. don't do that. So
0: yeah, no, I like that. That's a good, uh, good one to send off with. So,
1: so don't make your future self mad.
0: That's funny. I have a buddy who would say, Oh, that's future. So-and-so's problem. To himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, it's been a great week. Can you, can you take me out?
0: Yeah, another good week. Well, um, we're coming up on sort of the tail end of summertime. We had a brisk, cool morning that felt kind of refreshing this morning. Um, We were without our comrades, Shannon and Blake, but they are doing well. It was another good week in the studio, and we uh, look forward to doing this again soon. We'll see you next time. Thank you.